Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm not going to sing the whole time, don't worry. You guys, spring has sprung something fierce and I could not be more excited about it. I didn't realize that the place that I had been living the past 13 years had no light. (laughs) Like, I mean, I knew it, but on some level I also didn't because you know what's happening this year? My plants are growing I said this to one friend and he was like, that's what plants do. And I'm like, not in the place I was living before they didn't. So now I'm like, you know, I think I'm this like amazing earth goddess because I have plants that are actually growing in my home. So I'm very excited about it. So I hope that if you are in the Northern Hemisphere, you are also enjoying the benefits of whatever spring is bringing into your life right now. So quick note about ways that you can support the show if you like. So we have merch. It's so cute. We've got some cute merch items. They are available at TeePublic. So you could just go to tinyurl.com slash C-W-H merch, M-E-R-C-H, tinyurl.com slash C-W-H merch. You could also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, which is super helpful. There was a really wonderful, sweet review recently that absolutely touched my heart. So thank you, whoever you are who wrote that review. And you can also support me on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash convos with a wounded healer. And there you can donate as little as a dollar a month. And it is super duper helpful and so much appreciated. And you'll get a shout out on social media if you do that. So on to bigger and better things. Well, not better, but other things. I've been hinting for a while that there is going to be a change with the podcast. And I'm going to tease you just one more time because next week is the week that you are going to find out what the surprise new change in the podcast will be. And some of you might be mad at first, but I have a feeling everyone's going to love the change in the future. And I'll talk about it a little bit more next week. But the reason I'm doing it is, you know, I've been doing this for five years and sometimes you need to switch it up. There's a a podcast that I'd been listening to for a long time and they've been around, I think, just a year longer than I have been around. And I kind of stopped listening just because it's the same thing over and over and I got bored. So I was like, I can't have anyone get bored of what we're doing here. So yeah, that's not the only reason. I just, uh, I don't know. It is just time. So just trust me. Trust me. If you're a person who doesn't like change, I'm sorry. I don't either when it is thrust upon me. But again, I have a feeling in the long run, you will see this as a gift. So moving on to today's wonderful guest, I'm super excited to introduce you to River Nice. So River Nice is an anti-capitalist financial planner, meaning they acknowledge the harms of white supremacist patriarchal capitalism and help families use their money to get as close to their ideal lives as possible. 
River helps their clients with topics like budgeting, debt, financial emergency preparedness, investing, insurance, and planning how to afford life goals like gender transition, family planning, buying a house, and retirement. What does this all have to do with healing? Don't worry, River is going to tell you. So I can't wait for you to hear my wonderful conversation with the amazing River Nice. Hello, River Nice. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah. And uh, everyone will see when your picture comes out, but you and I have the same haircut. So clearly (laughs) we're going to be best friends. Meant to be. (laughs) So I was introduced to you through Sarah Calvarisi. Do you know Sarah or are you just like Instagram buddies like we are? I think Instagram buddies. Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah Calvarisi was on the pod, I think at the end of 2021, I think. Who knows what time is anymore? It just keeps happening. Right. And then I found out that you were on my friend Brian Thompson's podcast, who was also on my show, I think also in 2021. So we have a lot of intersections. I love Brian. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell them what what you are, who you do. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different conversation, maybe. (laughs) That was cute, right? But you know what I mean. Yep. Um, <laughs> Man. Well, hi. Yeah. I'm River Nice. My pronouns are they, them. And I am an anti-capitalist financial planner. So I started my business in 2019. And basically, I am doing financial planning from the perspective of someone who acknowledges that white supremacist patriarchal capitalism is a bad thing. And I'm doing my best to help people, especially people who are in their earlier life stages, like, oh, I finally have more than survival money, but I don't know what to do with it. So I'm helping those people get the education and tools and advice that they need to feel more in control of their own finances and feel good about how they're showing up in the world. Great. So let's just spend this whole time giving me advice and then everyone else can follow it because that's what I want now. Because it's, yeah, I mean, just like a quick aside, I started an IRA through my company because that's what you're supposed to do, right? So my financial advisor for that IRA is a black man. And I was like, hey, I want to use my money appropriately. And I'm hearing about these other funds. And do you know anything about that? He knew nothing. And I was like, what a fucking bummer. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to utilize folks who I hope might know these things. And it's not, I mean, I imagine this is not necessarily information that's, well, I'm sure it's easy information to find, but not for the general person. So how, what, where do we start? Where do we start when we want to do good things with our money? I know. I know. I think of investing as one little piece of the puzzle. I mean, how big the piece of the puzzle is depends on how much money you have able to invest, right? But I like to start with budgeting. So when we talk personal finance, we are talking about how we are using our money for our lives and our values and our priorities. So that's got to start with how does money come in and how does money go out? And then when money gets saved, what are we saving it for? So when a client starts with me, the first thing we start with is the budget. The budget is where everything has to start because a lot of folks, most folks are not actually clear on how much money gets spent in what places throughout the month. And that's because we're taught to be consumers from the time that we're born. You're either supposed to be working for some business owner's profit or spending the money that you made. That's it. That's what we're supposed to do. 
So a lot of times folks don't realize that they are spending money on stuff that is not important to them or not aligned with their values or not helping them get what they want out of life. And I know the whole internet will tell you to stop buying avocado toast so you can buy a house or like whatever bullshit that the internet likes to say. But I'm more interested in like for me, building a line item into the budget for gender euphoria and reducing some of my spending on plants and household knickknacks was super helpful to get more aligned with what's important to me. Building in a line item for paying my reparations was way more important than being able to spend more money on just fun, adventurous travel. So getting clear about how I'm using my money on the day to day is always going to be the first step for me. That's awesome. I have so many questions, but let's back up first. Like, how did you get here? What was your path to like, now I'm an anti-capitalist financial planner? I have always been a numbers guy. Really? And I grew up just inherently very much a numbers person. Do not ask me to take any kind of like painting or drawing classes. (laughs) None of that. I like very numbers heavy. Wow. And I grew up upper middle class with access to money and access to information about money. My dad actually understood. He was an accountant. Ah. He was an entrepreneur. He understood money stuff and he explained it to me in a way that I did not realize everybody else didn't get. Ah, yeah. So... I got a degree in computer science because that was like the practical thing as a numbers guy, but I hate writing code. (laughs) So that didn't last. It sounds awfully boring. It's honestly, it takes so much resilience because if you put one comma in the wrong place, the whole thing doesn't work. And then you spend like days trying to find the misplaced comma. And I am so impressed by people who have the enough resilience to do that work, but it's not me. It can't be me. No, I don't have that resilience either. (laughs) (laughs) So I worked as a project manager in tech for a while. And I really liked figuring out how to allocate resources to work towards multiple goals at once and like creating project budgets and like helping people manage their time and manage their resources effectively. But I didn't really care about the company that I worked for. So when Trump got elected, I was like, there has to be a way for me to use my skill set to help queer people because I do not care about what I'm spending most of my waking life doing. And it doesn't seem like it's helping anybody, actually. Right. So I spent six months soul searching, going to every activist training I could find, only working part time, just enough to pay the rent and journaling and researching online and asking everybody who loves me, like, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think the world needs? And my partner at that time was trying to deal with all of the credit card debt that had accrued because of her gender transition. It's expensive to get a whole new wardrobe. It's expensive to get makeup. It's expensive to get all of the like doctor's appointments that you need and all that stuff. And every time she Googled how to deal with this, the internet told her to stop buying avocado toast. And she was like, that's not helpful. (laughs) Wow. So I sat down with her and just put together a budget and a debt plan just intuitively with the information that I had. And she was like, this is your calling. Nobody knows how to do this. And nobody's going to help a broke trans woman with credit card debt. We need you. So that was the original idea. That's so amazing. Yeah. I'm really grateful to her for like pointing out that there's a need for it because, you know, when something's common sense to you, you don't realize everybody else doesn't have access to the same information that you do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's funny. We just moved into a house and my husband grew up in like 
managing real estate properties, like watching his dad do like fixing things and everything. And so he's doing all this shit around the house. And I'm like, you realize nobody else knows how to do this shit. It's very important that you have this. <laughs> Truly. What a valuable skill set. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So when I realized that I wanted to help queer people with money, I still didn't know anything about the personal finance world and about financial advisors. So I basically put out a survey on the internet that was just, how do you identify and do you need help with any of this long list of personal finance topics? And I got a really strong response that there is a need within the queer community. And a friend of a friend saw it and reached out and was like, hey, I am a financial advisor. I'm worried you're going to get yourself sued because you don't know how the laws work around this industry. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, which I really appreciated because I did not know (laughs) all of the rules around giving financial advice. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I met up with her and she mentioned me to her boss and her boss brought me in and he just saw a passion and a capacity in me. And he was like, listen, I need a tech guy for the office anyway. How about I hire you as the tech guy and you can study to become a financial planner? And I was like, good deal. That's way better than grad school. (laughs) Oh my. And like, talk about like being able to utilize a trade and also apprentice sort of. I love this origin story. Keep going. Yeah. What a like... Uh, lucky and privileged moment to have access to this kind of social network where there was this opportunity, you know, like that is not a common thing, especially in the finance world. Yeah. So grateful to him as well for taking a chance on this kid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I worked there for a while and it was really helpful to learn how that team does financial planning. And the boss paid for me to take my exams. So the state of Pennsylvania lets me do this work. And I was realizing throughout my time there that like the way that they do financial planning and the clients that they are looking to serve is not necessarily aligned with the work that I want to do in the world. They are looking for clients that already have half a million dollars ready to invest with them. And like they are looking to help people buy multiple properties and invest as much money in the stock market as possible. And these things that I'm like, I don't actually agree with this approach, especially for majority white clients. I think there's got to be a more nuanced way to help people manage their assets while still being in solidarity with the rest of the world or the rest of the country, you know? Right. So I left and started my own company in 2019 so that I could come out as trans and kind of say these things about capitalism that weren't really the thing to say in that space. Yeah. No. (laughs) Wow. Holy shit. I'm so inspired and I have so many questions and most of them are personal, but I'm sure other people have these questions too. Can we talk about owning properties for a minute? Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. Rolling back my chair, bending forward. I'm just going to use myself as an example because I'm sure I'm not the only one. So I marry into a family that has properties, right? My husband's grandparents bought buildings. His dad bought buildings. They have this. And he and I have been talking for the longest about he's not quite as far in the whole anti-capitalist, like anti-racist journey as I am. So he's learning, but he's super open and we don't have children. So we really want to think about how we use the wealth responsibly. Like, I mean, he really tries hard to be a good landlord, but I know being a landlord is problematic. Can you just share a little bit more about what the alternatives are. Because if we sold the properties, somebody else is just going to 
be more exploitative, I think, than he is. So like, it's probably the wrong question I'm asking, but I'm saying a lot of things about properties. Say what you have to say. Help me. Yeah. And I want to say like, I am still a financial planner, right? I'm not like an ethics expert. I'm not like a land back expert. Like there's still more for me to learn, especially from indigenous communities. Always. And there are people who know more about solving kind of these ethical conundrums. But some of the things that I think about are like, yeah, everybody should be able to have access to housing that a landlord can't take away from them or suddenly make more expensive for them. Like, I have a journey and goal of buying my own house someday. I want everybody to have that. And I think there are really cool land back opportunities, depending on which indigenous land you live on, to be able to still own and live in your house, but returning the like stewardship of the land from the United States to the indigenous community. But it is the landlord question that is a bigger question for me. And I think there's a spectrum here. I talked about this on TikTok and got a lot of comments. You know how TikTok will do. I've been watching a lot of these go and I'm like, I can't say anything because I'm not educated enough. I just know Mm. I have feelings about it and I need help to work through it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think there's a spectrum. Like there has to be a spectrum and nuance to everything. We can't just make it black and white. You're good or you're evil. That's like a weird Christian Puritan way of seeing the world. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm not really interested in all landlords are equally evil. I am interested in kind of the spectrum and difference between one person or one couple or one family owning two properties, three properties versus the developer companies that are buying up entire city blocks and gentrifying entire neighborhoods Yes, and local governments that are destroying entire communities to build a new highway or to attract the white hipsters to the area. There has to be a difference between those people and organizations. So I appreciate that there are landlords out there that are trying to keep the rent affordable, that actually maintain the properties, that give a shit about their tenants as human beings. And it also sucks that the entire system in the United States around private property and housing is such that it is... Right. There's the landholding class and the not landholding class. And clearly one of those is in a much better situation now and for the long term. And then acknowledging the history of white supremacy and especially against black and indigenous communities and how land has been stolen and wealth has been stolen and extracted for generations. We live in a country that was set up for white people to be the owning class and black and indigenous people to be not owning land. And then the rest of people of color along the spectrum there. So like, I don't know, I don't have an answer. Not that I think you expected it, but like it's tricky and nuanced and complicated. And I want people to be thinking critically about what am I doing with the resources that I have access to and how am I in solidarity with the community and with people who are more oppressed than I am? Yeah. One of the things as I've been listening to, I don't even know what I'm listening to, but all sorts of things that are like, I'm trying to educate myself more in anti-capitalism and all of these areas. And what I'm hearing you say in the spectrum, because we've got people who are like, all cops are bastards, all landlords are bastards, right? And it's so, like you said, it's the opposite of what we're fighting for. What's the um, the horseshoe principle? Is that what it's called? Where like the more extreme you get on either side, you become so much like what you despise. That's what it feels like when I hear people say all landlords are all cops. 
because it's the system. And when you are in the system, like before I had any education about this stuff, my husband's going on and doing his thing. And I'm like, yeah, my husband's family owns properties. How cool is that? And now I'm ashamed to tell people because I know that it's like not cool. Right. So, yes, there's a spectrum and we need to shift the system. I'm going to do some research, though. I don't I've been trying to do research on the indigenous community in Chicago and not having good luck. I need to try harder because that would make me so happy to really be able to participate in that way. And it's probably about finding some members of the community and starting conversations with them. There's probably not enough online that you can just like find an answer. It's probably about having some like really thoughtful, good faith conversations with some people and like building some relationships to figure out what you're going to do. I also want to point out, like when I'm talking about like the landlord tenant relationship, it's not just that the landlord has the ability to charge more money of the tenant or kick the tenant out. It's that from a financial planning perspective, the landlord still owns this asset that hypothetically increases in value. And especially once the debt has been paid off on it, will continue to have the opportunity to bring money into them indefinitely and into their family indefinitely into the future. Whereas the tenant has to pay indefinitely just to have shelter. So the tenant is being extracted from in order to have housing because the landlord is in a privileged enough situation to keep charging money for this asset that will continue to be worth more in the long run. So when we think about, okay, I own all of these properties, what do I do with them? If I sell them to another landlord, that landlord might treat the tenants worse. But I also wonder if there's opportunities to let the tenants buy in equity to the property so that after a period of time, the tenants now have either money that like partial ownership so that when the property is sold, they get some money back or eventually full ownership of the property. So they don't have to pay rent anymore. Like there might be ways to do it, that it is the tenants actually getting a leg up within the system, depending on obviously the specific circumstances of all the people involved in the relationships. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that we're definitely going to hire you as soon as we are in full control of <laughs> we are not. We are not the actual owners. His, right. his mother is the owner. But right. once we are, because that's what we've talked about is what can we do? Oh, we will be hiring you and we will talk about all these things because <laughs> right. because, yeah, I want to I want to know he wants to know and we really want to do what we can. So there's something about these topics that makes me so excited. I, I grew up in southern Ohio. It was very Christian, very steeped in white supremacy. And the more I have conversations like this, the more I can expand, the more I can just like, it feels like freedom to me. And it's so funny that like the opposite side, it feels like persecution, (laughs) but it is right. I guess it, it is because if you are used to being able to do whatever you want, extract whatever you want, you know, and then we say you can't do it anymore. I guess that isn't freedom to you. Yeah. It's not a coincidence that the entire U.S. culture is based on individualism, is based on like what's best for me. That's hand in hand with white supremacy, because if we actually gave a shit about what kept the most humans alive and happiest the longest, (laughs) it would be obvious. But we are taught from birth that it's based on the individual and by extension, that individual's family. But it's really based on individual humans. And that's how we've all been brainwashed to live this way. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. <sighs> Would you consider yourself a healer in the work that you're doing? Mm, I feel I feel like it's not my turn to claim. Like I feel like mm-hmm. I'm not qualified. 
sometimes people will say to me like, wow, you're like a money therapist. And I have to be very clear, like financial therapists, that is a thing. And I do do not have qualifications Mm -hmm. to do that thing. I Mm -hmm. am a financial planner who is super willing to talk about feelings and ethics and values. Mm -hmm. So it's very financial planning first, numbers first, but I am very here for all of the like life that goes into it. Because if we live in a place where money is necessary for every aspect of human survival, then we're all going to be a mess about it. (laughs) And it doesn't really make sense to me how other financial advisors can't acknowledge that at the very least, if not like build it into all of the work they do. Are you really surprised? Are you really surprised though? (laughs) You may be a numbers person who has access to emotion, but... Let me tell you, in my experience, most of them don't. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as do I consider myself a healer, like I hope that the work that I do is improving people's lives. And I've had the vast majority of my clients say something to that effect to me. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the opportunity. But I don't know. It feels weird and tricky to be the numbers guy and, and assign the term healer. Yeah, well, we can say it. Boop. There, we've booped your nose. And so now you're a financial healer. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Honored. Yes. I mean, that's this is a theme, though, when I ask that question of anybody, even if you are in a quote unquote healing profession, that people are usually like, yeah, I'm not going to put that term on my business card. But I know that what I do, that is the result that people tell me. So you're right in mm-hmm. line with the rest of us. <laughs> Great. Good company. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about the term wounded healer? I loved it. When you first said it to me, I was like, oh, yeah, because I do not have all the answers and I do not have all my shit together financially. I am also an individual who is 30 years old, who is doing my best under late stage capitalism. You're 30? Yeah. You have so much. You were going to be. I mean, I'm sure you're already successful, but like where? Yeah. Sky is the limit, my friend. Thank you. But yeah, like I am also wounded by capitalism. I also have had white supremacy installed in my brain from birth and continues to try to get in there. I also have the capitalist mindset that comes up all of the time as I'm navigating financial decisions for myself. So will you talk about some of those specifics? Because I'm realizing like I always give my listeners so much credit because we talk about this shit all the time. But sometimes I'm like, well, wait a minute, maybe we should back up and describe what this means. So like, how does internalized capitalism show up for you? The most recent relevant example is that I hired somebody for the first time. Oof! welcome to management. (laughs) Yeah. And the person that I hired has been my best friend since high school. So like, we have that foundational relationship that I feel like we have a level of honesty and communication skills that most people would not have in this situation. But when I hired them, I was like, listen, kind of the what capitalism is, is that there is an owner class and a working class. And I don't want to be the owner who's exploiting the worker who happens to be my right. best friend. I don't want to set up that you make the same amount of money no matter what. And I make all of the profit. So I want to do something different. But even as I started thinking about that and saying that, there was this part of me that was like, no, yeah. no, we should keep the profit. This is ours. This is my business. I put all the work in right. to make it happen. I can't just like give all of that up easily. And what if this and what if that? So that's been a really interesting thing to work through for myself and in conversation with them. And over the conversations that we've had over 
a couple of months now, we decided that we are going to each earn a percentage of the profit from the business. And my percentage will be a little higher to acknowledge that I've been doing this longer. I'm the face of the company, that they have no idea how to find clients or get clients to trust them. But that if we are setting up the company such that both of us are necessary for the company to function then they should be earning a percentage of the profit, not just a flat salary or hourly rate. And that also means for them that if the company performs less well than we expect, they might have to take a pay cut at the same time. So you get the benefit and you also get the risk of partnership in a business. But we're both feeling good about that right now. And we've set regular check-ins to make sure all of it's still going well for both of us and for the business as a whole. Because really, we want to be doing the work to serve the clients. So we got to make sure that that's what's happening here. I love how you're talking about this because I just am in the process of leaving the first company I started and also having this recognition that I want to be able to be fair. We're already not exploiting people because we're asking them to work 20 hours a week for a full-time job. So like we're already good there. But wanting to share in the profit and also, I mean, two things. First of all, I am coming to believe that the smaller the entity, the easier it is to make ethical and fair decisions because there's not that many people to take into account. So there's one thing. And then the other piece of it is as the owner of a business, as the person who is taking a lot of the risk, it's heavy. It's heavy. Like the woman who is buying my business, she finally, now that she's buying it, she's like, oh, I didn't understand why you were tired, why you were scared, all of these things. And the employees, they don't share in that same risk. They do get profit. We do have a profit sharing piece. But I had a lot of money in the bank (laughs) a couple of years ago. And post-COVID, we don't have that money in the bank anymore. And had I not saved that money, like I wasn't just giving myself distributions. I was like, we're keeping the company because who knows what the hell's going to happen. I'm just sharing this all again because it's nuanced. It's complicated. I think it's about intentionality, right? Intentionality, caring, really wanting to support the people who are working with you, not just working for you. Like, The way we've talked about it is that it's a community. Everybody has to play their role in the community so that there can be profit for folks to share. But over the last year, there was no profit. So nobody got anything. Me included because I had to cut my salary and cut a lot of the things that I was used to. And that's that's what you do as the owner. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I appreciate, um, I'm just going to shout out on TikTok, Madeline Pendleton is someone that I've learned a lot from in this specific area. She started a clothing company and has hired multiple people. And she's like, it just doesn't make sense to me to pay anybody different than what anybody else makes. All of us, including me, just makes the Mm -hmm. same amount per year. It's just the company's profit for the year divided by 12 or whatever. And she doesn't even track how many hours anybody works. She's like, no, we are all needed to keep the company functioning. And some people need more sick time than other people. And I'm not going to penalize people for being chronically ill or disabled. We are all necessary to make things function. And we need to be okay enough to work in order to be able to function for the company to function. So being able to learn from her has been incredibly helpful for me. 
That's really awesome. And I feel all of the squeeze internal. Like, do you feel it too? Like when you hear that, Mm -hmm. right? That's where the, I mean, that's where the growth edge is, right? It's scary. Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. we come in contact more with what makes us uncomfortable and can lean into that instead of just shutting it down or saying that's impossible. But that's always what comes up for me is like, how is it possible? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree with you. Smaller teams are easier because you can have the direct relationship and the direct conversation about how it's all going, it's especially when we're doing something that's so outside the norm. Mm-hmm. We don't have the ability to just fall back on preconceived ideas that we've already lived with for a while. We have to be able to think things through in a different way and talk things through in a different yeah. way. So it's not the most scalable solution. <laughs> yeah. And it's as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about there's a, a former practice owner from Chicago who's been really outspoken about their journey because they started a practice. They said, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to pay people a living wage. I'm going to 100 percent do their health care. I'm going to take Medicaid and serve the most challenged populations. All of this really like altruistic stuff. And they burnt themselves out. And it's been a thing. So I think there's another end. There's another end of the spectrum that if we, because we're trying to build something that's new and we don't have the solutions, we can't just have those altruistic ideas. We got to put the like numbers together and figure out if this is feasible because any practice owner would have said, what you want to do is not possible in our industry. And that brings up a really good point that is relevant to a lot of my clients. And most of my clients are like salaried at jobs, but I see this common thread of people who are giving too much money away or want to do this altruistic business owner thing or giving too many of their services away for Mm -hmm. free and they're burning themselves out. And I need to remind people, we are each members of the community also I deserve to work the amount that my body can work and my brain can work just as much as any employee of mine deserves to have the breaks and the rest and everything that they need. And I deserve to be paid a living wage just like everybody else deserves to be paid a living wage. And I deserve to have enough money to have some joy and some plans for the future just like everybody else does. So I think a lot of times it comes from this guilt. I see it a lot from white queer people, this like guilt of, oh, I see how for queer people of color, it is so much harder. So I'm going to give away all of my money. But then that's setting themselves up to be in a really precarious situation, which is also a drain on the community. So there needs to be this balance of figuring out what is sustainable for all of us as a community together, including me and you and each individual person who's trying to do the right thing. Right, right. (sighs) where we sit in the world right now, it is impossible for everybody to get their needs met. Yeah. The way that everything is structured. And I think my desire for that to change. So what I think what's coming up for me right now is like bypassing the grief of the reality of the situation Mm. that we're living in. Right. Mm. That's a really good point. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to be with how painful that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's coming up for you around that? Something that I say a lot is that the hole in the world is bigger than any of us as individuals can fill. 
And I think it comes to the like American individualism again of like, oh, well, if I just martyr myself enough, I'll be able to fix it. And it's like, right. no, like that's still the same problem again of like, I'm the one like, <laughs> right, right. you know, yeah, it has to be bigger than that. And it's harder and it takes longer. I wish I could solve capitalism, but like I can't. So for me, I found the specific thing that my skills can do for a specific group of people. And I'm like, okay, this is my role. And there are other people whose role is organizing mutual aid. And there are other people whose role is trying to get better people elected into the current government system. And there's other people whose role is creating new co-op housing situations. But my role is just helping people understand how to use their money intentionally within how the system currently works and how to be thinking about it critically from this lens of like economic model is wrong. (laughs) Yes. Well, and that reminds me of, I just had this conversation with a client this morning and she very freely wants me to use her as an example. So not betraying any confidentiality here, but won't give specifics, but she's a small business owner. And because of things within her company, she had to close a location and she's a franchisee and the company has just been, it's total shit. And We really talked about today how like this is how white supremacy has hurt white people. And we never talk about that. And she was like, that actually makes me feel better because then I'm taking it less personally. And she also said this thing about role. She said, I realize my role is not like I'm going to make this change in this big corporation. But my role is to help my community, the people who are here right in front of me. And I think it's A lot of us social justice warriors forget because we want to change everything, but we have to just go back. Yeah. What is my individual role? What is my actual responsibility? Not the responsibility that I'm telling myself because Joe Schmo over here is not doing anything, right? I don't have to do Joe Schmo's part too. All I can do is mine. Yep. And then once we have that, how can we find other people who are doing similar enough work that we can start to build relationships to break out of that individualism, right? Right. So I recently found a group that's kind of like grassroots, just like monthly Zoom meetup called Radical Planners. And it's a bunch of people within the financial planning world who are like, we need like a radical leftist approach to this. So being able to find those folks, and they're also different than me, you know, like a lot of them work with people who have like a lot of wealth and like how to divest entirely from the stock market and how to navigate a trust fund and how to navigate inheritance that may or may not have come in already, stuff like that. Whereas I'm helping more middle-class people figure out how to be okay in retirement and stuff like that. So it's like, wow, this is so cool because even within this lane of I'm going to help people survive how capitalism currently exists, I still have a niche within that and other people can have other niches within that. And then if we can share ideas and support with each other, we can together make a bigger impact than if any one of us was trying to invent all of it from scratch. And I think that's where we start building the long-term community that can actually make real change. Masterminds. 2023 for me is the year of collaboration. And I keep, that's what I want. I want to collaborate. I want to build community. That's what this podcast is all about. Like every Mm -hmm. single person who's been a guest, we're all part of this collective that are really trying to do our work while helping other people. Yeah. I love that. Mm. Mm. So who do you want as clients? Let's recruit you some clients right now because I I guarantee that somebody is going to want to hire you after this. So who are you interested in working with? 
Totally. Yeah. So the people that I am most useful to are in a life situation where they're like, okay, I finally have more than just survival money, but I have no idea what I'm doing about it. So that tends to be folks in their 20s and 30s, but I've certainly worked with older folks. It tends to be folks who are working jobs that pay and have benefits. I work with a lot of folks who work in tech. But it could also be like a therapist who went private practice and is like, oh, I actually have some income now. <laughs> like, yeah, what do I do with it? It could be an artist who finally got a big grant and is like, okay, how do I not squander this opportunity? It could be somebody who got an inheritance and is like, wow, I never thought I would see this much money in one place at one time. Mm-hmm. That's the majority of people that I work with. The two main services that I offer, one is a group coaching program. We meet once a week for 12 weeks and I teach everything that should have been taught to us in like middle school, but through the like queer anti-capitalist lens. I love it. I want to be in it immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's super fun. It's super cool. I keep the cohorts under 15 people. We have really cool conversations about being a landlord or inheriting money or how to talk to your parents about whether they're going to need your financial support in retirement Mm -hmm or so many different aspects of being in this economic position at this stage of life. So it's both education, but also really cool discussion and also holding people accountable to the stuff that they need to do for themselves. That's been too scary to do to this point. So I end up with a lot of clients who have ADHD or bipolar or autism where it's really hard to have the executive functioning to develop a finance system that's going to actually be useful for the long run. So that's one of my main services. The other one is comprehensive financial planning. So that's just one household working with me. And that's for the folks who already have all of the basics, already have the budget, but need help thinking longer term. Can I afford to move from New Orleans to upstate New York for climate reasons and still retire on time? Can I afford to help my kids with college in 10 years and still retire on time? Can I leave my job and go to grad school and start a business? What is that going to cost? What is it going to take? all of those more nuanced long-term decisions. That package is usually a six-month project to do with me. So I'm trying to work with people short-term to get them the education and the plan that they need for the long-term. Yeah. So I don't manage investments for anybody. I can teach about investing in the comprehensive setting. I can give investment advice, but I'm not interested in looking for the people who already have half a million dollars and investing the money for them. I'm interested in the kind of life plan of money and what are you doing with it? And do you know enough about what you're doing and how to protect yourself? Mm -hmm. Which also makes a lot of sense for your personal stage in life too, right? And I think I've noticed this in my therapy career, who I want to work with changes based on where I am and what I've experienced. So I love that you're using what you know. Thanks. Yeah. I also just saw such a gap that like most traditional financial advisors don't know anything about student loans and like my whole generation needs it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Right. So just being able to get like a level of expertise about specifically that, let alone everything else. And then even being able to talk about student loans from the perspective of you're not a bad person for having debt and you're not a bad person for not paying off the debt as quickly as possible, you know? Right. It's just a tool that we use to try to get what we want out of life. And as long as we are using the tool in a way that's not going to hurt us more in the future, 
I have no problem with owing the federal government money. I don't like most of what they're using it for anyway. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, again, it's, it's the system and we have to work within uh-huh. the system because, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I have a supervisee I might send your way because her $2,000 a month loan payments are not uh, sustainable. Oof. So it sucks. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Wow. Totally. Wow. Well, this has been very exciting. I love what you're doing. I'm excited for you. It's just so clear that you are on your path. <laughs> like, how does that feel? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, because yeah. you're doing it. It is the best. Thank you. Yeah, it is so cool. And I am so grateful all of the time that mm-hmm. I'm able to set up a life where I get to be myself all of the time, be honest about how I see things all the time and choose to work with people I actually want to work with. Right. Being able to say, if you don't know how to use they, them pronouns in a sentence, you're just not a good fit to work with me. Being able to say, if you don't care about giving reparations, you're just not a good fit to work with me. And then the people that I do work with, I can make such a huge impact. And maybe that'll, how will that affect their families and their kids and their friends? Like there's this ripple effect that is really cool. So yes, I do feel like I'm on my path and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to do it. Like that's not a common thing for people to be able to access. I know. I know. I feel like maybe it's the people that I'm hanging around or there's just like a this is what's happening in the zeitgeist. But I feel like there are so many people who are actually beginning to run their own business based on their own personal experience and the gifts that they have. And it's I'm really happy for it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, tell us about the little popper thing that you've been playing with. (laughs) I'm very curious. At first I thought it was a deck of cards you were shuffling, but what is this? It's just, uh, it's a little fidget toy my friend put in my Christmas stocking, which is very cute. Um, It's just, yeah, you just like can pop it back and forth. It is in the shape of a calculator since I'm the financial planner. (laughs) So each little bubble has a little, I know. Yeah. Um, it's like a little rainbow calculator since I'm the queer financial I, planner. It but. looks like a, a unicorn's calculator. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. And that's the other fidget toy that I have is my little <laughs> unicorn. <so. laughs> Everyone who knows me, I keep getting random fucking unicorn shit. It'll just show up at my house and I'll be like, okay, who sent me the unicorn tape dispenser this week? I love that's adorable. That. I love that. I just always need something to play with when I'm talking about stuff. I finally mm-hmm. gave in to stop picking up my nails and just like, I'm just going to fidget with stuff that I keep around my desk. So there you go. I hold crystals. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, it has just been so delightful meeting you. I, I knew I always have a good sense about these things. <laughs> it's really great to meet you. It's fun to talk about this. Yeah. So give us all the deets of where people can find you, where you're doing your shit. So my website is beintentionalfinancial.com. My number one piece of financial advice is to be intentional. You can find me on Instagram at rivernice.financialplanner or on TikTok at rivernice.finance because the TikTok handles can't go as long. I give free workshops monthly-ish. You can find out about those on Instagram or TikTok or my email newsletter if you go to my website. And I have a ton of free workshop recordings and a budget template at the link in my bio on Instagram and TikTok. So come get what you need. You are just such an impressive young person. I I feel feel like an old lady right now. So impressive young person. (laughs) Thanks. I do what I can. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's just a delight. 
Thanks to our guest for an amazing conversation today. To find out more about today's guest, you can visit www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.